Good afternoon, everybody. It's uh, my pleasure to welcome you to this event where we're <coughs> going to be discussing how to stay body positive in an era of social media. This event has been organised jointly by UE's Bristol Mental Wealth Lab and the Centre for Appearance Research. My name is Emma Halliwell. I'm an associate professor in the Centre for Appearance Research and I'm going to be chairing the event today. The Centre for Appearance Research, or CAR, is an internationally recognised centre of excellence based here at UE. Much of the research within our centre is focused on body image and mental health. We know that between 50 and 70% of young people report body dissatisfaction. And we also know that this body dissatisfaction is a significant public health issue because it's a primary cause of psychological problems such as depression, anxiety, disordered eating and self-harm. So in CAR, we work with people with and without visible differences to understand influences that can lead to negative body image, such as social media that we'll be discussing today, and also to work on interventions to promote body acceptance. If you want to know more about CAR's work, you can find us on the web, on Facebook and on Twitter. But CAR's mission is to use research to promote body acceptance and appreciation and to improve the lives of those adversely affected by appearance concerns. So I'm absolutely thrilled to, that we have such a wonderful panel, panel with us today, all of whom embody this mission to promote body acceptance and appreciation. The panel today also represents a broad range of experiences and expertise which will shed light on the subject of body positivity, social media and mental health. So I would like to welcome all of you on the panel to this event too. And to introduce you to the panel, starting closest to me, we have Jada Cesar, one of the best known plus size models in the world today, who's working within the model and fashion industry to promote body positivity. She is also a mental health advocate and has a master's in, in child psychology. And we have Richard Blackwood, an actor who draws upon his own experiences to advocate for mental health. Hanam Kaur, a motivational speaker and activist who inspires all of us to embrace and celebrate our own appearance and diverse forms of beauty in others. And also Dr. Amy Slater, who is an associate professor and deputy director of CAR whose research focuses on body image in children and adolescents with a particular interest in social media. So to explain how this event is going to work, in a moment I will invite each of the panellists to speak for approximately five minutes about their own experiences of body positivity, social media and mental health. Then I will lead a brief discussion with the panellists and then I will open um, the session up to questions from the floor. So at that point, if you have a question, please raise your hand. And once selected, please wait until you have the microphone to ask your question. That way we'll, we will all be able to hear the questions as well as the panellists' responses. Okay. A little bit of housekeeping. We're not expecting any fire alarms. So if you do hear a fire alarm, please respond and leave in an orderly manner um, through the exits, follow one of the events team will lead you out um, of the lecture theatre. We'd like to encourage you all to get involved on Twitter using the hashtag Let's Talk Now. You can tweet comments, pictures and questions and this feed will be checked and responded to during the session. And finally, I just want to remind you that the event will be podcast and subject to no technical difficulties, we expect it to be online within the next couple of days. Okay? So, 
To move on to the main event, I would like to start by inviting Jada to talk to us about her experiences. Hi. Um, first of all, thank you all for coming today. Um, this is really cool because when I was at uni, we never got to have these kind of conversations. And it was especially around mental health was like in the back of like a student union. And it was like a real hush hush kind of like, how are you feeling a little bit anxious? And there wasn't really much else that we like expanded on. Um, so this is really cool. Thanks for hosting it. Um, so a little bit about me. I have been a plus size model for the last seven years, accidentally fell into the fashion industry whilst I was studying my master's in child psychology and working with a lot of young people that had eating disorders and body dysmorphia. And it was really crippling to watch, um, particularly at like a primary school age um, and you know, moving on into secondary school. So at that point, Instagram had just launched and with like my educational background paired up with coming from a big family where like I'm Turkish and Spanish and the first thing you do when you enter my house is get asked, do you want some food? Um, and so I kind of had a different um, uh, life experience around my relationship with food, my relationship with my body and certain things I would say to young people um, really had an effect and like it really taught me that planting a seed at a young age can really, um, improve the way someone's self-esteem and self like idea of self develops growing up. So um, Instagram came about and I decided to take that work out of just the playground and put it online. So I started creating content, um, pictures of me, which is like blogging now, I guess a lot of people do it, but eight years ago it was quite new. And just sort of encouraging women to feel comfortable in themselves and own their body, own the imperfections, just own every piece of you. Um, and it was quite vulnerable because I hadn't seen anyone that looked like me really. There was four plus size models, they all lived in New York and were completely detached from my lifestyle, which was like a normal girl working in a school. Um, but my images went viral and I was asked to be the face of the first ever plus size show during London Fashion Week, where I walked, um, I opened a show and was asked by a modeling agency after if I would like to sign to them went on to model fast forward seven years is still something I talk passionately about because I think body image is closely connected to self-esteem and self-worth and um, your idea of what you are, um, how you value yourself. And what I, I recently heard this quote and it really resonated, but no amount of self improvement will ever make up for your lack of self-acceptance. And it's so true because you can do anything you want to amend your body and your aesthetics, but it's never gonna look the way you think it's gonna look or change your life. Um, and so I continue to talk about that amongst other things, like last year I ran the London Marathon with a lady called Bryony Gordon, and we did it in our underwear because health looks different on everybody, right? Um, I'm a size 16, Bryony's a size like 18, 20, and she ran the marathon the year before. And that's remarkable. And like, I signed up accidentally because I didn't really know how far a marathon was. I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool, right? It's on everyone's bucket list, so I can do it. Um, but we did it in our underwear again to prove that, like, you know, you see an Adidas campaign or a Nike campaign and they show these really athletic people with six packs and girls with like the tiniest waist. And actually you can be fit and not look like that. And, and you can run marathons and not look like that. Um, and it's, you really have to see it in order to know you can be it. So, um, yeah, I know there's a few of you saying, no, I can't run a marathon. You can all run a marathon, guys. Like, if I can do it, you can do it. Um, 
so yeah, my mission, I, I guess what I continuously do is I say I'm a content creator um, and that content creation hopefully inspires people to believe that they can do it too. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Richard, could we hear from you? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, uh, well, yeah, one, two. Okay. <laughs> um, how would I put this? All right, I didn't have to deal with um, any form of physical kind of uh, conditioning or that would set me back in any way. I went through severe depression in 2003. I went bankrupt, I lost everything, right? Um, People that are of a certain age group would remember I had, I was the golden kid. I had Channel 4 show, MTV. I was a multimillionaire by the time I was 25, 26, something like that, right? I come from a family. Naomi Campbell is my sister. My uncle Junior is a big pop singer. So I came from that kind of family of go-getters. Um, but what I will say is that I was very lucky that social media wasn't around at the time when I went through the bankruptcy because uh, social media to me is the devil's playground. You have to be very mindful of what it is. When we were younger, we used to call it the internet. And, <laughs> and we called it internet because we knew there was slimy people on there that were predators. We kind of had an understanding of that, so we, never, we stayed away from it. It was like, that's where nasty people are. Now it's been bred as a dating site, it's everything now, right? And all the kids are on it, and I'm, my son's 18, so I have to be mindful because now I have to live vicariously through him in terms of what he sees. Um, but what I would say is this, um, I train, but I train only because I always say I'm training for the role I haven't got yet. So I, if I wasn't in entertainment, I probably wouldn't train as much, but I believe in being the whole package. Naomi has that figure that people wanna have, but Naomi has that naturally. Naomi didn't need to go to the gym for that. She's just naturally built that way from when she was a kid to now. So as much as people are like, I want that shape, it's like she was just naturally born that way. You know, she didn't train for that. Naomi doesn't need to go to the gym, just the way it is. So I always say to my son, or I say to people out there when I do talks, please do not believe the hype of social media because it doesn't mind killing you, right? You know, like you gotta remember that there are people that, I always, I said to the young lady interviewing me and I said, the person you need to look at is the person in the mirror and just be happy with what you see. If somebody comes along and says to you, what's your name darling? Molly, so if somebody comes along and says to you, Molly, I think you should do this, and it wasn't something you was thinking about prior to, then you should say, well, it's not my, on my agenda. Now, so if they say something and you go, funny enough, I was thinking about that, you might take it on, but even still, it's because it's what you want to do. And what I mean by that is that everybody has an opinion on what you should do as opposed to what they should do. And it's transference. And we have to understand, we used to call them haters, red-eye, Jamaicans, we call it red-eye. Right, but it's people that are very unhappy in their own lives that would then turn around and say, oh, your figure's this, or blah, 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 blah. And one of the, and the last thing I would say, in relation to figures, like you were talking about being a plus size model, some of you in this room are probably like 25 and younger, to not realize that shapes recycle. Mm -hmm. So plus size was plus size in the 50s, right? Do you know what I mean? Marilyn Monroe was a plus size fi figure, right, that was sexy. The 60s, they got slimmer and slimmer. The 70s, they got slimmer. Then the 80s, they started to get thicker and thicker again, right? You know, so Janet Jackson was deemed as having this figure with the big bum in the 90s and blah, blah, blah. But it's because in the 80s, it was a bit more slimmer. So they go, oh, look at her bum, blah, blah, blah. Now in the 2000s, everybody wants this 
bum enhancements and breast enhancements. But we know back in the day, it like people that of the 90s and the 80s, no one cared about that, you know. And it will go back again. It will be skinny again. And it will, it will just... So it's to not fall into the trap of that because it's just here for a time, right? Whatever the look is, it will it will go. I, 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 I say to people, look at a certain artist that's famous. I said, in five years, that person's no longer famous. They might be known, but they're not famous. So don't play into the hype of, I'm, yeah, no one cares in five years because the next person's coming. So as long as you're always... I've been in this business 25 years... I've had success in different levels for 25 years. I know my name will be here in 25 years time, but that's not our arrogance it's because I know how to re, like, you know, like Madonna always kind of reinvented herself. I understand the industry to know how to do that. Naomi's been famous since for nearly 30 years, just under 30 years. She knows how to reinvent. These are not people that look at social media and go, oh, I need to follow that. They set the trend. So all I would say to you guys out there is, Learn how to set your own trend. It doesn't matter how small it is, right? People will follow. And the ones that don't follow, they're not meant to be on your train. It's that simple, right? But I'll say more when you guys ask questions. I'm going to pass it along. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, five minutes to get my story in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a whole, like, 28 years to put in five minutes. Wow. Um, growing up, I was brought up in a Punjabi, I'm half Punjabi, half Tanzanian, so I have greatness inside of me, thank God. Um, I, was, I was brought up in a loving family, my parents did everything in their sort of, um, everything in their power to make sure that my brother and I were good. But going to sort of an all-white school, I wanted to be white, <laughs> my skin's brown. And um, I faced a lot of racism. I faced a lot of discrimination. Yes, even as a young girl um, growing up, I then re my body hit puberty without telling me. Thank you. Um, and then for some odd reason, some very odd reason, in year six, I started sprouting like facial hair. And I didn't understand why, because like in those, you know, you used to get those teenage magazines like Sabrina the Teenage Witch and da 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 da. I was like, I don't look like anyone in this magazine. First of all, Harnam, you're not blonde. Secondly, Harnam, you're not white. Like, you're not going to look like these people. And thirdly, you're growing a beard. <laughs> so you're definitely not going to look like these people. And even looking around um, other girls in my class as well, like, none of them looked like me. And I went to the doctors, and I found out that I actually have polycystic ovaries. One in five people with ovaries have polycystic ovary syndrome. Not a lot of people know that. So when I, was, when I thought I was dying of a very rare disease, I later grew up and I realized how, just how common this condition is. And you can imagine growing up uh, um, as, as a woman and having facial hair, just how hard that is. And it got so bad, the bullying got so bad in school that going to school for me was hell on earth. People talk about, oh my God, hell on earth. No, it was, it was hell on earth for me. People use that quote so lightly, but I hated school with a passion. I did everything to just skive, everything to get away from teachers, everything to get away from students. My mental health was so bad, I started hating my body because I thought, do you know what? You're the reason to why you look so different and you're the reason to why people are bullying you, my body, my body that keeps me alive every single day. My body, when I'm sleeping, my heart is beating, my body, my lungs inhaling, you know, oxygen, like keeping me alive every single day, I'm hating my body. 
because of other people's opinions of me. And what's the easiest thing to do when you look so different and all of a sudden you've hit rock bottom and people are asking you to conform? The easiest thing for you to do is just delve into their opinions and conform, right? Right? That's what I did. I started shaving, tweezing, threading, bleaching, waxing. I was way too young to get laser and electrolysis treatment. Um, and I thought, wow, there really isn't a way out. I was beaten every single day because of the way that I looked. And to punish my body, and I speak very openly about this because I'm so scared that this topic's gonna become a taboo. And there's so many people that struggle with this that I'm like, do you know what, someone has to speak up about it. And even if it's me for a minute every day or whenever I'm speaking, I'm going to. I started self-harming in the most horrid way. I was like, I don't know what else to do to my body but punish it. I started self-harming and my mental state got so bad that I became very suicidal. I said, there's no place on earth for me. Everyone hates me. Like my parents are telling me to change. Like I go to school and I'm being beaten up like every single day for being me, something I can't change. It takes a very strong person to say that I'm going to kill myself. Your words are very powerful. Your thoughts are very powerful. And the words that I was saying to myself and the thoughts that I had about myself were so negative. I was drowning in them. And at my lowest point, I don't know what happened. I flipped a switch. I don't know what, I don't know what bloody hell happened to me. But I was ready. I was ready to end it all. And I was using that strength. It takes a very strong person to say I'm going to kill myself. It takes a very strong person to say that. Why are you manifesting that strength in such a negative way? Because if you end yourself now, you don't know what you're going to attain in the next 10 years. You're, st you're killing yourself off from becoming a much better person, literally. I thought your bullies are happy. They're out there. They're socializing. They're loving life. And I, just, I won't tell you how I tried, but whatever it was, I threw it all away. I threw it all away. And... I said, girl, you're going to grow your beard out. <laughs> you're going to look cool. And I did. Like, it was the hardest thing to do. And I had a six-week period of, you know, getting to grips with the way that I look now, growing my beard out. Went through the six-week um, summer holidays. Started year 11. Um, sorry, started year 12 in sixth form um, looking like this. God, that was the hardest time. Like, I literally went to school with like a really big high, mental high. Um, and then it just dropped. My confidence just fizzled out. And I said to myself, Renam, if you want to look like this, you better be resilient. Mm -hmm. You better fight back this society every bloody day. You better realize that you need to be strong because this society is going to eat you up alive. It will kill you off. It's tried to before. And ever since then, I've had to tell myself everything, anything negative that people shouted at me, I told myself two, two positive things to override the negativity. It was the hardest thing to build a relationship myself, but I'm so glad I did it. It nearly, it nearly killed me. Thank you. Thank you. And... It's taken the longest time to actually find that self-love. And people talk so openly about self-love. I don't want you to love yourselves. I'm the only motivational speaker on this earth that will tell you I don't want you to love yourself. Because how can people that have gone through a decade of abuse all of a sudden one day wake up and say, I'm going to love myself now, and think it's going to be that easy? I want you to be kind. 
And I want that to be your first stepping st stone of then attaining self-love. Mm, yeah. Right now, I speak as a motivational speaker and I go around to unis, young schools, nurseries, colleges, um, high schools. I hold my own events. Um, I hold my own tours in Europe. Um, I travel like everywhere. Thank God this, you know, this job has allowed me to do that. And all I want to do is live in my purpose, add value to society and tell you guys that you guys are enough, tell you that your difference is what will make this society flourish. And just to, you know, tell you that it's okay, that it's, it's okay the way that you look. And I want to tell you that you're perfectly fine. And I also want to tell you that just be a little bit kinder to yourself. This world can be harsh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Amy. Well, thank you. Um, I don't know if that's working. Is that working? Is it working? Hello? Do you want to use my still yours? Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Hello. Um, well, obviously, I'm coming from a very different perspective, and I'm not here to share my personal experience. I'm a researcher in the Centre for Appearance Research, and I research specifically around the area of social media and body image. So I thought I'd just spend a few minutes talking about social media and, I guess, some of the features of it that might be contributing to either a positive experience or a negative experience. Um, we have several decades of research now in the area of body image that started off obviously looking at traditional media before social media and we know that the ideals that have been portrayed to us for many, many years are very narrow in their standard of beauty and we know that these ideals are essentially unobtainable for nearly everybody to achieve. They're unrealistic, as you're saying about those magazines. Um, Nobody can really look like that. Um, and we know, again, from the research that exposure to these type of very narrow ideals contributes to people feeling uh, worse about themselves, they're worse about their body image and, more generally, their self-esteem and, and broader mental health. So we know now that social media is such an integral part of life, particularly for young people who have grown up surrounded by it, and they can't remember a time without social media, while some of us can remember that time. Um, so there's a couple of key features I think that we need to consider and I think these features can be both a positive and a negative in terms of how we think about ourselves and our bodies. And of course the first really powerful feature which I think Jada um, mentioned is of course that now we are the creators of our own content and that's a, a massive change. We're not only consuming media ideals presented to us but now we have the power to create and share our own content. And that has, of course, a really, really positive aspect in that we may, it has the potential for us to see much broader uh, appearance ideals and much greater appearance diversity, which has potential for huge benefits in terms of how we think about ourselves, our bodies, our appearance in general. So I think that's a really positive side. Um, the other key feature, of course, is the social aspect of social media which is, of course is now that we have the opportunity to create networks and communicate amongst those networks and receive feedback and interaction. That's the social part. And again, in terms of mental health, this can be really powerful if we think about um, finding a community that offers support and interaction. 
However, so far, the, the research that has looked at social media and body image has really focused on the negative aspects. And I think we can take those, those fit, same features and think about why they may contribute to a negative um, self-concept um, and, and sense of uh, self-esteem and body image. And one is, of course, that it's still an exceptionally appearance-focused uh, arena. And some of the technology and some of the platform actually encourages this. Of course, um, you know, forward-facing cameras on our phone encourages us to think about ourselves from an outside perspective. The technology on some of the platforms encourages us for filters and, and enhancing and altering our appearance in a way that is perhaps still presenting unrealistic and potentially unobtainable ideals. And the second feature, as I said, the, the social aspect, um, also really encourages um, feedback on our appearance, doesn't it? it? It even quantifies it in the forms of likes or loves or how many comments do we get. And I think this can also has the potential to really enhance the focus on appearance and teach us that appearance is perhaps one of the most important things in ourselves. And I think this has the potential to be uh, potentially really damaging in terms of how we come to think of ourselves and value ourselves. So I think at this stage, uh, we still don't really understand the full power of this um, medium. And as I said, I think there's lots of positives, but equally lots of potential negatives that we don't yet fully understand. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you guys for really inspiring and informative um, accounts there. Before I open it up to the floor, I just wanted to pick up on something that I think you all talked about a little bit, which was about self-acceptance um, and how central that has been for you. And there's, there's a debate in the academic literature and in the body positivity movement about the pressure to love yourself. You know, and body positivity is about loving your body and every aspect of yourself. And, you know, there's some backlash to that, saying maybe that's too much. This is kind of hard on what you were saying. Maybe that's too much because it still makes appearance a central thing. So maybe body neutrality or just body acceptance is better. I wondered if any of you would like to say more about that. I feel like even that whole movement, again, like you said, is focused on body, right? Yeah. Well, why are we not looking after our mental states and our mental welfare, you know? And I think even, like, I was very much deep into the whole body confidence sort of movement. And I even used to call myself a body conf confidence activist. And I've, I've left that and I was like, I'm just a mo motivational speaker. And to even in that whole thing, like, don't, don't think that plus size people or people that are in this movement don't use filters. I promise you they do. Like a lot of images online, social media, 90% of them have, do have filters. They are Photoshopped. They are altered in some way, shape or form. And again, like the relationship that you have with yourself is going to be very different from the relationship that someone else has with them, you know? Mm -hmm. And you need to get to this point. I mean, it's really funny though, because how many times do we match with people on Tinder and we say, oh, I really like you. I want to go, I want to meet you. I want to get to know you. When was the last time we sat down with ourselves and said, you know what, who am I? Mm -hmm. Like, I want a relationship with myself. Like, what's my purpose here? What are the great things about me that I should love? 
Like we never take time out for ourselves. And I think that's where it, that's where it starts. You know, this whole movement that you'll have with yourself about finding your self-esteem, finding the value that you have within yourself and actually realizing that you're worth so much more than people's opinions or so much more than what certain advertisements and these marketing campaigns are doing or saying, or so much more than what the, you know, the type of people that, people that are being portrayed on TV. I also want to say, I think you sort of touched upon it, about going to the gym and certain people just naturally having that body type. Like, I keep saying to people, there's one sort of image that tends to be portrayed, and it's okay that that person has that one image, let's not shame them. But the issue comes is when society or people are saying that's the only type of image that you should have. That's the type of image that you should attain. You were talking about the power of social media. The more you look at one type of image, the more, you, the more your mind registers it and you want to sort of attain that, right? Let's not forget that we're all very different. I mean, even looking at everyone here right now, not one person looks similar to another person. Unless you have a beard, then you might look like me. <laughs> I don't know, but we all look so different. I think that's one thing that we need to, that we need to sort of put in our heads yeah. and realise. Um, you know, I think the catalyst for each person is what then dictates how you then move forward. So I don't think we can generalise when everybody, like you say, is an individual, so therefore their catalysts are all different. So I, speaking from my perspective, as a person that encountered racism just like you, right, um, in a time when it was far more racist, yeah. right, um, I was luckily taught by my family some hardships, which was that you have to work twice as hard as a white person to get to get through. I was taught that, so I was taught that n not to have a chip about it, it's just what it is. I was also taught that um, certain friends might be your friends because you might have certain things that they don't have. I, I, I had old school Jamaican parents that because they came over in a wind rush, they had to deal with the NF and they had to deal with such horrible things that they had no time to muck around and be like, this is the world's like this. They didn't have time for that. So their thing is like, son, the world's like this. If you want to get through, you can cry in the corner or you can get up and you can fight. So I'm a fighter. I come from a family of fighters. But I'm very lucky to have that as my catalyst. Now, if you have, I, don't, I, I know you kind of said it briefly, but I'm not, I'm not certain and only you can tell me if your family were very supportive at the time you was going through what you was going through. I mean, it was hard for me because you know, coming from like, I don't know how many Punjabis we have in here, but if you definitely come from like an Indian Punjabi Pakistani household, you know how your parents are just like, you have to be, you have to be as fair as possible and as thin as possible, etc. So I had that to deal with. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you, but that's, that's my point. Yeah. So therefore, your sanctuary wasn't safe. Mm. So that's what I mean. That's why I say that it's in giving advice to, to, to people, like I can give advice from a premise that my home was safe. Mm. I could come home and my family would go, you're good. So therefore I could fight another day. It's like, you know, like filling a, a, a tank full of petrol. I was fueled up and I could go. But if you go in the house and it's also draining you, mm -hmm. then I understand that your journey must have been uh, far more different and harder because you had to find resources yeah. from other things. I mean, my, my bedroom, I don't like anyone in my bedroom. Like, my parents will come in. I get really bad anxiety when my mum walks in because my bedroom was my safe haven. Mm. That's my place where I can be private, my place where I can be and no one can, like, judge me, my place that I can be just true to myself and mm -hmm. no one comes in, no one can step into that. Yeah. 
sort of area that's that's mine and you know being at home was difficult it was you know going to school I had all that rubbish to sort of deal with coming home I have all that rubbish mm. to deal with mm. I'm very feisty and you know, people don't know that about me I'm very feisty and I again like I had to build like a tough interior to be like do you know what I'm actually not going to allow anyone to sort of mess with me mm. you know because looking the way that I do I get the amount of abuse that I get walking in the streets, like, I don't take public transport anywhere because I am bound to get someone, like, either physically abusing me or, like, saying something to me. So I have to always fight for myself. I always put, like, again, put your welfare first, put your mental state first and sort of prioritise the people that are around you. Like, will they stick up for you? And I think you need to be safe and careful with who you are as well because, for me... I had to create this interior that that was so resilient that I challenged my bullies to come at me and try and break me. Like that's how feisty I am, sort of thing. No, I, no I'm gonna let you guys yeah, yeah, yeah. questions and stuff. It was just, Jay, I was just saying you, that. You know. Did you want to say anything? Or um, I just find it really interesting because when I was studying, I read up on a lot of articles that were all about how we are hardwired to want to belong, to belong, and the complete opposite of that is fitting in and changing the way you dress and changing your hair to fit in. Um, but yeah, that's what we do to belong, but it's completely counterintuitive and counteractive. Um, and belonging means belonging to yourself first. And in order to do that, it's self-acceptance. And it's like what you guys are all saying, it's seeing yourself. And yeah, I completely agree of the whole self-love thing. Don't love yourself, be kind. And I say confidence is a trick. Like, it honestly is a trick. It's like confidence is sold to us. Like, when you become confident, all your problems will be solved and you're going to be this incredible person on 100, on fleek all the time. And, like, that's just not the case. Confidence isn't a trick. Um, is a trick. Confidence isn't something that you attain. For me, I just say I'm fed up of trash-talking myself. Yeah. That's it. And that's when I found confidence after, like, you make that move of, like, I'm just fed up of being that person to me. And you have to... And I look at myself of having this inner child, and that really helps me compartmentalise the way I talk to myself, because it's kind of weird when you're looking in the mirror. But if you're thinking that you have this little inner child that you need to protect, you have to be your own mother, your own caregiver, your own support. And that really helped me to be like, actually, let me be kinder, because I have a reason to now. Yeah. Lovely, thank you. Okay, I'm, I'm worried because time is running away from us. So let's open this up to questions from the floor. Who would like to ask a question? Okay, so we have the first one here. And if you just don't mind waiting till you get the microphone, and perhaps you'd like to tell us who you are, whether you're a student or staff. So, Helen, just there. Thank you. Um, I'm Helen Bovell. I'm a member of staff here, and I'm from the Department of Education, so I'm really interested in, in terms of schools and so on. Can I first of all say I'm so touched by what you all said as well. It's really, really important. Thank you. Um, I'm really interested in the... Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in the stuff that the Centre for Appearance Research does as well, and, and Jade over there, she came and talked in our department, and she talked about... Um, uh, children and and particularly about uh, really being afraid of being higher weight that was something they were so afraid of so I wonder not just in relation to that but what do we do in schools that's a huge question I know but what do we do to try and and help you know the very youngest children be more accepting but also celebrating of diversity thank you I, I, you know what I would say okay when I was growing up um, 
my uncle used to go to America and come back and he, I remember he brought back these cards and it had all the famous uh, black activists, right? Uh, from Marcus Garvey to whomever, to Malcolm X, whomever. But I remember at the time, obviously being a black British and Jamaican born um, person, I was like, how does this apply to me? And he said, in order to know your history gives you power. And I think in schools, if you were to teach young students the, the women and men that looked like them, that were them, that contributed to society and made, made differences because there is somebody out in society that reflects every student, every child in the room. And I think, because you've got to remember, kids, they, they, they look to their peers and their sponges, they take it all in. So that's why certain kids end up selling drugs because it's in their environment or certain kids are doctors because they grew up in a certain environment. And I think that if you give them certain people that they can focus on, that they can look at and go, that person is me, right? You know, from look to just what they stood for, that person is me. It gives them a target as such. Because remember, in life, as parents, as some of the parents know, you, you feed your kids knowledge and wealth and things like that, and then they go into the real world and they, they're faced with the other people that want to throw them stuff, and then they, it's a challenge. But what you have to hold true to is that what I fed them is enough for them to, to fight what's out there right you know and i think if you're also teaching that in schools then their their, their fight is even they, they've got more um ammunition mm -hmm. to take on the haters that are in between those infrastructures if that makes sense so that's what i would yeah. say yeah lovely thank you can i, I add to that yes sure um so for me um i think the easiest thing for schools to do is is bring speakers in i feel like Teachers know what they're about to get themselves into. Like, they know that they go through school, degrees, da, 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 and then they're going to be plonked with, like, 30-odd children. Sometimes these teachers themselves haven't overcome their own trauma. So how can they then tackle bullying when they haven't gotten over the bullying that they went through as a young... As a, as a youngster, I think the easiest thing to do is is to bring in speakers to then speak about certain topics. And I always do it. Like I go into nurseries, and it's amazing that mm. kids at the age of like five, like I speak to them about kindness and I ask them what kindness is, and they tell me, and I'm like, wow, like you could so be a motivational speaker. <laughs> like you're amazing, and it's shocking just how much these kids know. Children aren't born hating on gay people. Children aren't born hating trans people. Children aren't born being racist or be holding some sort of prejudice against someone that looks different. It's something that they're born with, born with love and kindness, and as they grow up and they sort of get themselves out in society, society molds them, mm. right? The easiest thing to do is, is to like open up your classroom to speakers and have speakers come in and speak, like just be open to these children, educate them in a way, um, and teach them about diversity out in the world, what it means to sort of be kind. Just small things like kindness. Even adults can't be kind these days, you know? Just yeah. things like kindness. Like what is kindness? What, you know, how does it affect people? I think that can have the most amazing impact, but also representation matters as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're really important points. Amy, would you like briefly just to come in on this? Um, yes, obviously, from a research perspective, we do a lot of research at the Centre for Appearance Research on interventions based in school. So for many years, I think we thought around body image and mental health as really being really prominent in adolescence. And so a lot of the interventions have really targeted at secondary schools. And we have had some, some success there in teaching what we would call media literacy. And now uh, I'm currently involved in a 
project with colleagues from Australia and uh, the United States where we are trialling and testing what we call social media, inter uh, social media literacy intervention. So that's with lower secondary school children where we teach them to be really critical about social media in terms of thinking about the good things about it but also potentially about the negative things about it and for them to be yeah, critical and savvy users of social media. However, we also know that these attitudes develop actually much earlier than we thought, and you mentioned Jade's research, which is looking at the development of a whole range of attitudes and um, biases in very young children. Um, and we also have programs now, so I'm also involved in a project right here um, in Bristol at the moment, which is testing a um, project aimed at very early primary school, so we're in year one and year two children um, testing a program that's called ABC for YC, which is Achieving Body Confidence for Young Children. And here, this is, we're not really talking about body image, we're just talking about that, guess what, everybody is different, and guess what, that's wonderful. And that's really the message of that program. It's a three-session teacher-led program, and we're hoping that that will um, show improvements in acceptance of diversity and also um, feeling positive about themselves. And I think this is where we do need to go. So yes, we need um, children to see diversity, and we also need evidence-based programs to help um, enhance these uh, attitudes throughout childhood and adolescence. Great, thank you. I'm keen to go to another question. So who else would like to ask something? We'll have a gentleman here, please. And then here. Hi, I'm a master's student at, at the Master's Creative Technology, and I'm a Chinese student, as you can see. And what happens to me was, was that I joined a lot of choirs at Center for Music, and we went out to sing, and we take selfies, and I post them on the WeChat, which is the Chinese social media. And then what happened was a lot of my Chinese friends and my families replied that saying, saying why I didn't blend a lot up with my Chinese students. And I think obviously they've got no point, but I find it interesting that I'm, I'm now being attacked by those people that look like me for blending with a group of people who do not look like me. And I find it really interesting. What do you think? Yeah. Can I, can I say, I'm going to be really brief. <laughs> Great. No, I won't. Um, and, I, and this is not, I'm not, don't think just because I'm using this name that I'm trying to liken it to you. But I, I was alive when Bruce Lee was alive. And if you know Bruce Lee's story, the reason why Bruce Lee was so famous is that he brought Kung Fu to the Western world, right? Um, so as a martial artist myself, Bruce Lee got fought by his Chinese people because they said, you're not supposed to teach it to the Western world, it's for us. And his thing was that it's a beautiful art, why can't we teach it? So at the time when he was doing his movies, if you go back and watch his films, he was actually teaching how his Kung Fu could work in the Western world with what the Americans were being taught and how it would somewhat be superior. Now, as we know, Bruce Lee is celebrated now. But at the time when Bruce Lee was doing it, he was hated by his own Chinese people. Bob Marley is a hero, but Bob Marley wasn't loved by Jamaicans when he was famous. Bob Marley was loved once he was dead. Don't let black people fool you, right? Do you know what I mean? That's the truth. They thought he was selling out. When Bob Marley got, um, Bob Marley and the Whalers, BMW gave him a car. Jamaicans said, you're not allowed to have that car because you're supposed to be the voice of the people. So he gave away the car. So when you are making changes, which is what you're doing, 
you're going to have people that are going to turn around and somewhat envy and be jealous and hate on the fact that you are choosing to not be the part of the status quo. Mm -hmm. So all I would say to you is stay on that path because mm -hmm. you will change people's perceptions and the same people that hate you will be the same as when they turn around and go, I knew you could do it. Yeah. So stay on your path. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. Can we move to the next question, please? And this is following on from that first question. I run brownies, which is seven to ten-year-olds. And I've had girls who are eight, I'm on a diet. Um, I'm like, why are you on a diet? Uh, I need to lose weight. I'm too big. And my question is, I'm, I'm not small, um, is that everyone's on a diet. Everyone every day is on a diet. It's what you eat, whether or not you're eating healthily and trying to lose weight and that sort of thing. And so I got them all to draw a picture of themselves and then get another girl to draw a picture of them. Mm. And then they compared the difference. And this one girl that wants to be on a diet, her, not, she wasn't even a friend, it was a different school, the girl that drew it, drew her as lovely long hair and you know, lovely figure and this sort of thing. Well, they're only small. But, and the other girl said, oh, that's not me. That's not how I perceive myself. And so I said, well, how do you get this idea that's how you perceive yourself? And YouTube was, you know, I want to look like the girls on YouTube. So how can we get away from girls thinking they want to look like being on YouTube and being like this big? I think it's so devastating when kids, like, in primary school or even younger have this sense of self. I remember being, like, in primary school, like, my mum was like, can you cross your legs? Because I'd be sitting like this, legs were open, like, not having any idea what I was doing. And um, I think we need to protect that. Like, I'm not a mother yet, but I have come from a big family and I'm constantly like trying to like really mollycoddle my, my little nieces and stuff. And I think it starts with our narrative and the language we use in the house and obviously at schools, but particularly as like aunties and sisters and mothers and fathers. Um, but like our conversation around like diet and like that's bad food and giving food like a personality, nothing's good or bad, food's there to keep us alive. Um, that's a treat. It's, it's like reframing the kind of conversation around food and our bodies. Um, and it starts with obviously our relationship with ourselves, but once we can, and you know, it's quite confronting because if we're doing that and becoming more mindful for the children in our presence, it can often help us realize what we do say about ourselves. So I think language is, there's so much power in that. Even if we date it back to like Disney and um, stories, it's like happily ever after and you'll find your prince and life will be good. It's like, why is it happily ever after? Like when you get married, life then is incredible. Like life shouldn't stop when you get married. Like that's kind of sad. Um, but it's like the stories that we're being fed, the narratives that we're being sold, it's like completely unpicking that tapestry and restitching it to how we want to see the world and being mindful of that, I think. Okay. Do Amy, do you... Uh, absolutely agree with some of those points that unfortunately we're seeing body dissatisfaction in younger and younger children and a lot of those uh, pressures that you've just talked about are absolutely some of the contributors so we know that um, you know, the social cultural factors, um, this, we talk about diet culture and a lot of those things 
um, we have to try to challenge from a number of different avenues and we also, so I talked about some of the intervention programs we've looked at, we've also done some research within our centre that have looked at taking those programs into community settings, um, particularly with the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts and some of our researchers are working on that currently and that has been um, rolled out around the world at the moment so if you'd like to hear more about that you can talk to some of our researchers that are up there right now. <laughs> Okay, thank you. So I think we could probably squeeze in one more question. Uh, there, that hand went up first. Yes, sorry. Thanks. Um, hey, my question's for Jade, but I just want to say, Harman, thank you so much for sharing your story. You are freaking awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, Jade, I just want to know, are you ever under pressure for your body weight with your modelling agency now to stay at a certain weight? Yeah, absolutely. I think even as a plus-size model, they, like... We talk about body positivity, but it's still like plus size starts at a size 14, which is absolutely ridiculous. And when I got into the modeling industry and I accidentally fell into it, so I had no idea that I was then going to be categorized and be a plus size model. I just thought I'd be a model um, and then figured out it starts from a 12 to 16, maybe 18, which again is not representative of plus size women. Um, and then again, you have to be plus size, but in the right face. So you can be fat, but fat in the right places, which is, again, it's ridiculous. Um, naturally, like, I'm Spanish and Turkish. Like, my body proportions are a certain way because of my genetics. And also, I do like to work out. But I've always been like that. And um, But that's why, from the very get-go, I continuously focused on my social media platform and personal branding because it would it's completely, again, counteracting on everything I say, being a part of that industry. Um, that, again, has glass ceilings. Um, a lot of girls come to me and say, oh, I wish I was a plus size model. I wish I could work in the fashion industry too. And I'm like, don't, don't, you don't want to do that. Um, the people that dictate the fashion trends are designers essentially because they're creating the clothes. But as consumers, we have the power and currency and money to pump in and support those designers. So um, yeah, I guess my social media has always been something I've held onto um, and protected because that's where I've been able to be like my true self. Um, but more and more, I'm, I'm working away from the modelling industry, to be honest. Okay, thank you. And I would like to squeeze in one very final question because I saw another hand go up. So just one more, please. Thank you. Okay, so like I work in like a free open access playground of like young children between like the ages of like three up until like 16. And um, I had like an incident, it wasn't really an incident, but like a few like young black girls there said things like, oh, I wish I had, like, straight hair because I don't like my curly hair. They said things like, um, I'm not accepting of my skin tone because I feel too dark. And I said, why? And she said, because um, lighter girls get more boys and they just look better. And it was so heartbreaking. And um, I come from, like, a mixed heritage background. So my father is Jamaican and my mother is Pakistani. So, like, I wasn't accepted from my Pakistani side. So that is something that I've had to battle. So how would you suggest that, like, I implement my experiences with, like, young black females in particular and cater towards their needs in terms of, like, identity issues and stuff? Okay, well, uh, my dad's uh, Jamaican-Indian, so we have the same mix, right? So we know, we call it coolie, right? Yeah. All right, but... Um, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that um, <sighs> black people, we've, we've, we've dealt with our internal uh, racism against light skin and dark skin for a long time. We know it starts from slavery. We know that the, the dark skin people were, were slaves were further away the house, light skin were the house slaves. We know where it comes from. But unfortunately, what's happened in today's society is that 
uh, media still perpetuates that that, that dark skin is at the back of the pecking order. So when, like, and it sounds weird, like when my sister did her modeling, she's a dark skin woman. She was one of the first, right, um, that was not mixed with anything to get a cover of a magazine. But, um, but she, she came up in a time of knowing that I'm probably not gonna get that. So she didn't care too much. And then when it happened, she was like, okay, and she was rocking with it. But it was as if media didn't really push that because it was like it was forgotten. Um, which is the reason why dark-skinned women especially didn't look and go, oh my God, Naomi Campbell did it, so we can do it. And then, but what was happening is that if you look at the way social media or the media perpetuates it now, is that if you're of color, you have to be mixed race onwards. You can't be even light-skinned black, right? So I find that the media is not very conscious of the fact that we live in a metropolis where there are people of different colors that live here. And not being funny, you asked us to come, right? So you should now, <laughs> Windrush, you asked us to be here. We didn't, we weren't coming before, right? So, so don't then go, oh, why are you still here? Why would, we cater to us, we're, we're all here. We've got kids and grandkids that are now mixes of that, like yourself and like everyone here, like they're all mixes of that. Soon enough, there will not be one straight black, one straight white, it will be mixes because everybody's mixing, it's what it is. So I would say just from your stance, you, you have to let them know Right, that the way you look is beautiful. And I know that they're gonna say, but it's not seen in medium and blah, blah, blah. But you've got to let them know. You, like I always say, what would you do if social media shut down tomorrow? A lot of people that are famous would no longer be famous because they're Instagram famous, right, do you know what I mean? And I always say, that's not real fame. It's social media, it's not real, right, do you know what I mean? Because you, I, there are people, I, I attack them. I say, I see uh, people put public um, person, they've got a thousand followers. I'm like, there's 68 million people in the UK, right? You've got a thousand, you're not public, you, you just, you're just you. Just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? But like, like, and I'm the worst because I do, I, I sit there and I go, because I'm of the different generation. I'm like, this thing has sent you mad, you're not famous, right? You go into a place where you go into the middle of the country of England and you walk around, people are not going to go, oh, I know, they don't know who you are. <laughs> oh, if you look at my social media, oh, sorry, we don't really use that. Right, oh right, I don't know what to do now. Yeah, you're just one of us now, right? So my thing is you have to teach them that, like if they say, I wanna say, if this shuts down tomorrow, would you care? Would people care? And it's like, no, they wouldn't, it's like, exactly. So just be happy and your time will come. It just will come, do you know what I mean? But it's hard because you have to fight against the system, but that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you want to add anything? Okay. Um, We've overrun slightly. I want to give everyone on the panel just the opportunity to give us one nugget of wisdom about how to manage um, social media, to maximise the positive and minimise the negative very, very quickly. Um, Amy, if we can start with you. I think just being mindful of your usage and being mindful of how using social media makes you feel. And if following particular people and messages are not making you feel good about yourself, unfollow and reduce your time. Thank you. I was actually going to say the same thing, but adding on to that, there's obviously going to be negative and positive with social media. Um, again, I would only follow people that are going to add value to my life, that will make me feel good. I'm going to you know, follow people where the captions are great. I'm going to follow people that have great things to say about themselves and other people too. Let's do that. Yeah.
Thank you. Um, just don't believe the hype of it, really. It's, 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 I'm sorry, and I know people work in social media and I get it, but it's not real, right? <laughs> no, it's not, right? Uh, it, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's a, uh, a technological uh, photo album. Remember you had a photo album, you put your pictures in, right? You didn't care about the likes, you just put a picture in and, that, and your friends would come over and go, oh, who's that? That's my grandma, that's my auntie, blah, blah, that's all it is now, right? And if you find yourself posting a picture for the likes, if you, if you hear yourself doing that, Take the picture down. Seriously, because, because you're only going to get disappointed because you won't get as much likes as you want. Right? Do you know what I mean? And when you start getting comfortable with just posting a picture, like I challenge people just to put a picture where they're doing something stupid, right? Where they know I'm not going to get a lot of likes from that because then what you're doing is you're, you're um, using it for what it's meant for as opposed to what it's telling you to do. And just challenge yourself every day with that, I would say. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, I would just say know that it's what the tool is there for and the way Instagram works is it's a place for aspirational content. So if you want to post the real stuff, know that it's not going to get the likes and whatever because people want to see things that are aspirational or, and that's why all these highlight life and highlight reels are what gets momentum, gets shared. Um, so when you know what it's set up to do, then you can use it for your benefit, I think. Lovely, thank you. So I would like to thank the panel for their really insightful discussion today. It's been extremely enjoyable to listen to you. So thank you very much.